0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Adam Klickfeld. And we'll take a little peek. Um, I'm not sure we'll get through all of these sources. Um, In the Shabbat bulletin uh, that went out before Shabbat, there was a link to this source sheet. Having said that, I got, just before Shabbat began, I got some emails that suggested that the link may not have been fully accessible to everybody, and for that I apologize. It was supposed to be, but it may not have been. So I will um, say every source that we're going to discuss out loud, and you won't have to do any guesswork if you don't have it in front of you. But you should have in front of you a chumash um, to that verse that we were looking at before, which is chapter 1 of Bamidbar, verse 16. 16 and 17, so page 771 in, in the Eitz Chaim Chumash. By way of introduction, I want you to think about the association you have when you hear the English word rhetoric. It's a common word. It's a well-known word. And it's interesting the different valences that that word has. On the one hand, rhetoric in our society can be understood as something at being empty vapid no content all rhetoric when someone is being rhetorical they're not speaking plainly they're kind of going roundabout or they are maybe digressing or diverging so in some ways rhetoric is not a compliment If someone is using rhetoric you can use rhetoric as a critique Ah, that speech was totally empty. It was full of rhetoric. How about some real ideas? Other hand, rhetoric in other parts of the English language and in other settings is a high compliment. Rhetoric is the way that you craft words together to be persuasive, both in terms of the style of delivery and the packaging. Right? We know that hearing two people give the same speech conveying the same data, one plain and dry, the other using all sorts of rhetorical devices, conveying the same data, the second one will be more compelling. It's an honor, usually, when someone says that you know how to use rhetoric to give a good speech. When I was in college, every freshman at Columbia takes a semester-long course called Logic and Rhetoric. It's been that way for decades. My father-in-law, Rabbi Elliot Dorf, took the exact same course in the 19, I guess, early 60s as I took in the early 90s. It's a course designed to break you down, um, and no matter how good of a writer you think you are, in the first month your instructor is supposed to convince you that you're a terrible writer so that you can rebuild your ability to write throughout the semester. It's a humbling class. You're supposed to write two or three essays every single week. I can remember some of the assignments verbatim. But that class called logic and rhetoric is built on the notion that rhetoric is a good thing. That was not logic on the one hand you want, rhetoric on the other hand you don't want. It's in order to construct a persuasive argument in writing and in speaking You need both logic. It has to make sense. You have to move from point A to point B, point B to point Z, and lead people along. But you've got to do it in a rhetorical way that catches their attention, that is memorable. Or as Malcolm Gladwell might say, is sticky from his book, The Tipping Point. It's not just the delivery of notions. It's both, actually, as are many things. Rhetoric can be used to knock people down and to cover for a lack of content. And rhetoric can also be the best way to deliver very important content. With that in mind, I want to look at this verse. The reason I want to look at this verse is mostly because it is part of a series of midrashim that focus on the verb in the verse, Again, the verses were verse 16 and 17 of chapter 1 of B'midbar. After naming the chieftains of all the tribes before this great census that's supposed to take place in the book of Numbers. That's why it's called the book of Numbers. But in Hebrew it's B'midbar because the first um, main word of the verse is this all happened in the desert. But in, the, in English, of course, is the book of Numbers. <inaudible> These are the... Elected ones, the one called out from the assembly, Nissiye Matot Abraham, the chieftains, the princes—sorry, not Abraham, Avutam—the chieftains, the princes of the tribes of their fathers, Rachei Alfei Yisraelhem. These were the heads of the great gatherings of the Israelites in the desert. So now that we know where they are, verse seventeen, Vayikach Moshev Yaharon, Moshe and Aaron took. Interesting, by the way, just as a sideline, the verb Vayikach is singular even though the subject is plural. Mosheviya Arona. could have been by khu, they took. But interestingly, it's the verb form of he took. He, Moshe, took, as if it's to say, with Aaron added in there. Whom did they take? Et ha'anashim ha'ela. These men, asher, who were, nikvu, were called, Bishemot by name. Simple verse. We know what it means. They, they, they were named, and then he gathers them together to give an instruction. Okay, But it's not as simple as that. Look at this first midrash, if you have it, from the book called Sifra, which is a series of midrashim on the book of B'midbar. Devar another thing, meaning that earlier on in the midrash they had quoted a different point. Kach et Aharon v'etbanav ito. Going back into the book of Leviticus, chapter 8, verse 1, we have... An instruction from God to Moshe, kach, take, same verb as in our verse, whom, take Aaron, v'epanavito, and his sons with him. Ma Talmud Lomar, what's this trying to teach us? The question is, why that verb? Why take? It could have just been speak to them. Why, why, what's the input, or the impact of the word take in this verse? Vehalo, in the Midrash asks, and if you think about it, b'chamamekomot, in actually many places, Na bo b'mosheh, it's said regarding Moshe, le'kicha, a taking. Moshe seems to take people and take things all throughout the Torah. B'v'nei adam, regarding people. Moshe is taking people all throughout the Torah. Sh'ne'emar, as it says in the third chapter of B'midbar, which is later in our parsha, et ha li, you, Moses, take these Levites to me, ani Hashem, I am God. In the eleventh chapter of Bamidbar, it says, Take those men to the tent of meeting. Moshe, Moshe keeps taking people. In our verse, which I put in bold on the source sheet, Moshe Moshe took those men that had been counted. And one more example from the twenty seventh chapter of Bamidbar: "Kach those et Yoshua Take. Joshua, the son of Nun, when God is instructing Moses to take Joshua as an apprentice, as his disciple, to take over for him. Take, 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 take. Lakach, lakach, In the Torah, every verb is studied very, very carefully to make sure we understand all the nuances of it. Why is Moses taking things and people? And then the Midrash asks, Vechi mafshil haya Moshe Adam lacharav Taking usually means like schlepping, get, like holding with your hands. The Midrash says, was Moshe like throwing them behind his back and slinging these people over his shoulder and taking them somewhere? Why take? He was just talking to them. He was just instructing them to go somewhere. Why that verb? Ella Amarlo lo hakadosh baruchu. Rather, we read it as the Holy One saying to, to Moshe, kacham bidvarim. Take them with your words, Moshe. Notice the irony. Moshe, slow of speech. Moshe, who says, Lod I'm not a man of words. God says to him, you take them with your words. <shalom> so that when you're done talking with them, they don't have anything in their hearts except for what you are saying. Moshe, go be a persuasive speaker. Moshe, use rhetoric. Moshe, you're my intermediary. If they're going to hear my message, they're going to hear it through you, and you've got to do it convincingly, persuasively. Weave a story together. Say it in the poem. Raise your voice and lower your voice. Speak well. Take them with your words. Stir them with your words, Moshe. This midrash is clearly praising Moshe, or maybe praising God for telling Moshe this thing. To use rhetoric, and to string words together in such a way that'll be persuasive. Okay, that's point one. Point two is a series of midrashim, which we'll do very quickly because this is taking more time than I expected. Where the rabbis recognize other places where someone took, but not in such a way that deserves adulation. Look at the next uh, midrash. This is from Bamidbar Rabbah, chapter eighteen verse uh, Midrash 2. And this is commenting not on our chapter of, of Numbers, but in the 16th chapter of Numbers, which is the story of Korach and his rebellion against Moshe and Aaron. And that parsha begins, Vayikach Korach, Korach took. Korach took. You can see where this is going. Korach didn't just speak. Korach took. And the Midrash says, Vayikach. Ain Vayikach hadvarim. Whenever the verb vayikach is used, and he took. That's suggesting a pulling someone with your words. What kind of dvarim rakim? Soft words. Maybe slippery words. Words that are going to dupe you into doing something that you may not have done otherwise. She kol gedolei Yisrael vahasan hedraot acharav. All of the great ones of Israel, even, this is anachronistic, even the members of the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin is the, is the court that stood in Jerusalem. The Midrash is imagining there was a Sanhedrin in the desert. Even the most wise and circumspect of all of the leaders of Israel were taken in. We even have that in English. Taken in by Korah. He didn't just speak to them. He didn't just give them a message. He took them for a ride. It also says, the Midrash says, "But Moshehu Amir." It also says regarding Moshe, Vayikach Moshe veharon etanashim Ela. Moses took, Moses and Aaron took these men. That's our verse. So the Midrash is saying, it's not just Korach who's a taker, but also Moshe. And they give a couple other examples from the book of Leviticus, from the book of o, uh, Hosea, Hosea, the prophet, and also in the book of Breshit, vatukach ha'isha Beit paro. The woman was taken into the house of Pharaoh. Who was the woman? Sarah. This was not a gentle taking. She was forcibly taken. She was abducted into Pharaoh's house. Not the Pharaoh who's going to enslave the Israelites, but the Pharaoh that Abraham and Sarah met in their first journey to Egypt. In other words, vaikach can mean Moshe rallying the troops, taking them to deliver a message from God. And it can also mean korach, taking them on a journey they're not supposed to go on. And a woman being taken against her will into an emperor's home. Have they? This is like Vaikach Korach. Korach took rakim mashach libam. He pulled their hearts with a very with 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 um, soft but too soft words, rhetoric that belied his negative intentions. In the last midrash, which we'll do very quickly, um, late, from uh, later on in that chapter of Bamir Barabba, it tries to explain what were the words that Korach used that were slippery, that were soft, that in, entangled people, that were rhetorical. Vayikach Korach, Korach Tok. What is written just before this section in Korach? Just before Korach has Parshat Schlachlicha, the very end of Parshat Schlachcha is the passage of Torah that gives us this law of tzitzit. V'asulahem Tzitzit, when God says make them fringes. So the rabbis imagine a phantom conversation between Korach and Moshe, where Korach tried to use his words and his logic and his rhetoric to twist Moshe up into a pretzel. Kafatz Korach, interesting verb. Uh, Korach jumped up, the Amar, and said to Moshe, Talit Shekula t'chelet. He gives Moshe a riddle. Imagine a tallist that is filled with Tchelet. Tchelet is that blue dye that's supposed to be on the, some of the fringes of the tzitzit. Most of the people in our community don't wear them, but you can see them on some Telitot. And that's exactly what the book of Amidbar says that the Asulahem Tchelet. Um, uh, I'll, 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 a, a, a patil techeilet that you put on the uh, fringe of the garment, a little string of techeilet. Are you telling me, Korach says to Moshe, that a, or, or he asked them, a talit a garment that is filled, the, the whole thing is made of this techeilet. Mahu she'tehep Would a completely techeilet talis be exempt from having to put tzitzit on it? Amarlo, Moshe said anachronistically knowing the halacha in advance. Chayvet seed No, that garment would need seed. Korach, having entrapped Moshe, said to him, Amarlo, Korach, are you telling me talit shekula t'chelet, a talus which is made entirely of t'chelet, ein poteret doesn't exempt itself. but you add in four strings of t'chelet, poterototah, and all of a sudden it's exempt. You see the pickle that Moshe was in, right? You're telling me that this white talit, if I put four strings of tchelet on it, I've fulfilled my obligation. So four strings makes this talis kosher. But if the whole talis itself were filled with treilet, because that's what it was made of, that wouldn't make it kosher? Later on in the Midrash, um, the, he, they use another example of Korach trying to trick Moshe, with his words, taking him along, taking him exactly where he wants him to take him, like a brilliant rhetorician, except not regarding the tzitzit, but but regarding the mezuzah. I won't go through the details. I want to just get to the punchline. At the end of this midrash, the rabbis offer a healthy and important warning and maybe even a rebuke regarding what happens when you rely too much on the persuasive power of your words to take people where they don't want to go. It's said above, in our verse, it's said above in our verse, in Bamidbar, these are the named ones of the princes, the heads of each tribe, and then it says, Moses and Aaron took them, same verb, those men that were called out by name, and it says in Korach and Markan, Nesiei those same princes of the gathering, Kri'ei who were um, elected by the assembly, an sheishem, worthy people, people who should be discerning. Vayi kahalu al-Mosheh v'yaharon. And they rose up against Moshe and Aaron. What the Midrash is saying is the very same men that Moshe and Aaron took got taken in by Korach, and then rose up against them. I believe that the lesson, the moral, the stermanet of this midrash is if you are going to live in a society where rhetoric on its own is what you're going to use to persuade people, even to the good, which is what we imagine Moshe and Aaron were doing when they were at lakaching, when they were taking those men in verse. You better be prepared to live in a society where rhetoric can pull people to the bad as well, which is what happens when the very same men who were taken in by Moshe Aaron take up voice and take up rebellion against Moshe Aaron because Korach found a way to take them on a ride. To wrap it all up so we can do Mariv and end Shabbat, I'm a person who loves words, as you know. I'm using them right now. I hope I'm using them persuasively. I imagine, both intentionally and unintentionally, I used a little bit of rhetoric to get my point across. I didn't just deliver a simple message with no turns of phrase. I tried to take you along for a bit of a ride so it was more interesting to you. That very technique is critical in sharing words of Torah. The midrash is rhetorical. Midrash uses words, lakach, to take people on a ride. And it's dangerous. And you don't want to create a society or a community that is susceptible to just hearing nice things and following them because it feels good to hear those words going down like a glass of Moscato compared to a Cabernet. You can get very drunk on Moscato very quickly because it goes down so easily, as it were. So I offer this up to you as you're thinking about how you're going to use your words this week and how you're going to listen to word this week. Pay attention to the way rhetoric is used in articles, in news presentations, in devre torah and sermons. Know that rhetoric, as I know you already know, we're just reinforcing it can be used to bring people towards the light. It can be used to bring people towards the dark. And that is the rub, that is the challenge of being gifted as we are as human beings with the ability to use and understand words. How do we make sure that the rhetoric that we are using and the rhetoric we are hearing are the ones that are being marshaled towards the right aims and not the ones that are supposed to lead us in the direction of Korah. May that be our challenge to attune our ears and attune our own lips so that our rhetoric is used to take people toward the sources of good. Shabbat Shalom. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.